important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C. and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And, uh, you know, we've had some uh, pretty big wins uh, going on here lately. Uh, the Supreme Court weighed in yesterday on uh, some very important <clears throat> um, election integrity bills uh, out of Arizona. And also, I would even say in California. Um so the Supreme Court strikes down California's donor disclosure requirements for charities. So the court voted 6-3 along ideological lines to protect the anonymity of large donors. So this was a uh, situation where there was a lot of cases where there was big donors that were donating to political uh, affiliated nonprofits. And they were being disclosed, they were being outed, they were being doxxed. People were losing their jobs. You you donated to who? You did what? And it was that kind of thing that was costing people their, their livelihoods. So what was happening is so long as you have this two standards of justice, this fake news operation that we call the mainstream media that basically... You know, we'll get you fired if you're a Republican and get you hired if you're a Democrat. We'll get you a front page story in the newspaper if you're a journalist and you write liberal leaning pieces. But if you're a conservative, you'll never get the front page. You'll never be able to feed your family as a journalist. If you're a professor, you won't get tenure track. Not even a book deal. You may not even get hired ever again. You'll never work in this town again. You'll never work in that business. That's the way the professors are. They're intolerant of opposing viewpoints. So you'll never get hired. You'll never get advanced in the liberal world of academia. And what's close to academia is the medical profession. So if you think you're going to get a job working for Fauci and you're a conservative, forget about it. We're going to play a a Jim Jordan clip today to where Fauci already showed in his emails 
how biased he is. How biased he is where he would say one thing to a conservative or an administration uh, medical professional. He'd say something else to another. And when he would hold conference meetings, particularly really key important ones related to gain of function and the engineering of the Wuhan virus, he only had world leaders. None of them were Republican. And everything was redacted. And we're going to get into that today as well. But the Supreme Court weighed in on California anonymity clause. So they they um, they never they did they didn't turn. Basically, it used to be that you had to disclose everything. But then some people were getting fired, doxxed, and whatever because the libtards were intolerant, and they were basically just trying to ruin people's lives who didn't agree or think just like them. You know, just like your average liberal professor, your liberal Hollywood director who won't hire a conservative to act, the liberal editor that won't hire the the conservative writer to write, the conservative actor can't act, the conservative writer can't write, the conservative professor can't teach. And if you find yourself on the wrong side of an issue related to uh, any uh, industry, you'll get yourself fired. I know so many people that have lost their jobs and got themselves fi- got fired. Not They didn't get themselves fired. I know several people personally that lost their jobs simply because they were conservative and not liberal. I personally have been directly discriminated against by a peer group of friends that worked at Penn University, now Boston University, spreading it around, where once they outed me, and by the way, I didn't out myself because I knew how intolerant these fools were, and I never outed myself, and this was years ago, 2004, no, 2006, 2007. And I was supporting a Bush agenda. And uh, I never said it to them. I never got engaged in any kind of political debate. Yet, up to a point, I was invited to their home. And then all of a sudden, when they found out that I Because somebody out of me, a buddy of mine out of me, he was a liberal too. He didn't think that there was intolerance like I told him there was. And sure enough, I knew then what we're knowing now, that the intolerance is real. I was never invited to their house again. And they tried to make it out like it wasn't for that reason. There was no other reason. I didn't know these people that well. I barely knew them. The point is, is that this bias and this this intolerance and this discrimination has been going on since I can remember. When I studied politics in the 1980s in college, I was told I could read the Christian Science Monitor, I could watch the McNeil Lehrer Hour, dating myself, right, on PBS. I could read the New York Times and I can read the Washington Post, but I could not read more any conservative 
values, uh, conservative publications, which there are few and far between. The intolerance and the discrimination knew no bounds. I think that even Walter Cronkite and a lot of others were, were, were just as biased, but we didn't know it at the time. I will say this. I, I saw this interview with Walter Cronkite and JFK. And John F. Kennedy was a, a Democrat liberal. He's a Kennedy. And yet he sounded as much like Trump as just about any politician of his time. Pragmatic. Gave an answer to every question. And he spoke with common sense. He didn't have this radical ideology like Biden's handlers have. I don't know what Biden is. He seems like, you know, he's got a couple of screws loose. And by that, I mean, like he's got a plate on his head. And have you ever seen somebody where it's like they're a robot? Like he reminds me of Max Headroom. I mean, the guy has like um, some sort of weird thing going on with his forehead and his eyes are looking at you like they're machine eyes. You know, like he looks at you and he puts his plastic smile on. Like you could kind of see the smile, but you, you you get the idea that he's looking over here. He's smiling over there and he could barely complete sentences. And you just know that everything he does is scripted. Everything he does is plastic. He doesn't speak from the cuff. And when he does, he he, he barely even knows what he's talking about. And when he reads a prompter, he doesn't even know what he's talking about. It's like he's just reading from a script, and you're like, do you know what you even just said? No, I was kind of just reading from the notes. It was hard enough just to read it and present it properly. I don't really know what I just read. What did I say? That's Joe Biden. You know, the person that scares me the most in the Joe Biden camp is Jake Sullivan. That guy is dumb as a post. His foreign policy is backwards as can possibly be. Rick Grinnell, Rick Grinnell could eat his lunch. I will love, This guy never makes sense. But he's the foreign policy guru. He was the foreign policy advisor for Obama. And here he is with Susan Rice in the camp, part of Obama's team, is now part of Biden's team. Why? They control Biden. They own Biden. Biden's so corrupt, they got an insured candidate to run the show. What do I mean by insured? I mean, he's got dirt all over him. Hey, Biden, do what I say or I'm going to get you impeached. How about that? How do you like those apples? And basically, he says, well, what do you want me to do? Because I want to be president. I don't really care. I agree with most of what you say, but uh, Barack. But that's what's going on. And I know somebody who went to high school with Susan Rice said she was she was uh, one of the one of the more moronic people he's known. Like she was not ready for prime time. Shocked as can be that this person actually made it up the ladder. Could not believe. I mean, she's not that bright of a person. She's the one that lies all the time about Benghazi and all that stuff, you know. It was a senseless video. 
They expect us to believe all that, right? They've been the Democrats have been lying to us for a long time. And we know it. But the Kool-Aid drinking, CNN watching, MSNBC watching, Rachel Maddow adoring crowd that represents a a large population in the United States but not the majority uh doesn't even know what they're they're hearing anymore. They've been lied to so much. All of these stories that are going on with respect to the border, with respect to inflation, with respect to gas prices, biflation, foreign policy blunders, the border crisis. They don't want to talk about any of that. They're still talking about Trump. Interestingly enough, Trump sent out something that was kind of interesting. Trump releases a cryptic statement about Ashley Babbitt. Huh. You know, not only did he look presidential, did he look, folks, did he not look presidential when he went down to the border like a boss? Said, you know, he was close to finishing the wall and the next thing they were going to do is paint it with black paint to weatherproof it instead of it going to rust. Makes sense, doesn't it? It's exactly what you would do for your home is what he wants to do for America because he looks at America as our home. Biden looks at America as a way to be fleeced. He looks at it as basically a king would look at the taxpayers. Give me all your money and I'll let you live on this land. It's crazy. It's crazy that we have friends among us that are Democrats that are so smart in so many other ways that are just so absolutely ignorant when it comes to politics. It just makes me crazy. So former President Donald, well, President Donald Trump, I'm just reading this uh, Daily Caller thing, but I already know what it says. Who shot Ashley Babbitt is the punchline. But here it says, Donald Trump released a short statement Thursday regarding the shooter of Ashley Babbitt. Babbitt, a 14-year U.S. Air veteran, was fatally shot in the left shoulder at the January 6th Capitol riot. A law enforcement official claimed that the U.S. Capitol police officer shot her. NPR reported in January. Who shot Ashley Babbitt? The former president's statement wrote. Okay, well, the president. The U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of Columbia Police Corruption and Civil Rights Section and the Civil Rights Division conducted an investigation into the officer relating related shooting of Babbitt. The Department of Justice announced April 14th that there was not sufficient evidence to bring forth criminal charges against the unidentified officer that shot Babbitt. Babbitt's husband, Aaron, filed a request in order to obtain information regarding his wife's death, including the name of the officer that shot her. Newly released information alleges that a U.S. Secret Service member from former Vice President Mike Pence shot Babbitt. Sources within and close to the intelligence community told Cockburn of The Spectator Uh, However, footage showed that Pence, the Republican Utah Senator Mitt Romney, and and Mitt Romney, had escaped the Senate chamber moments before the rioters reached the floor. The former vice president had reportedly been hiding in a secure bunker 
when Trump tweeted around 2.24 p.m. that Pence did not have the courage to vote against the Electoral College certification. According to Fox 5, Babbitt was shot at approximately 2.44, 20 minutes after the tweet, as she attempted to climb through a window leading to the House floor. So basically, it's a cryptid message. It seems like maybe Trump knows something more about who shot Ashley Babbitt than meets the eye. After all, it was January 6th, and, ba- and, and uh, Trump was still president at the time. So he, uh, I want to make sure we're, um, our audio is okay. I just got a text that says, uh, I don't know. I hope we're all right. I think we are. I, I know I see we're recording, so we're at least going to have a podcast if this doesn't go, go out through the airs. But um, if someone wants to text me and let me know, if they can hear us on the radio, that'd be great. I'm going to go ahead and play a clip anyway, and during that clip I can maybe test things out and make sure everything's all right. Um, all right, so we want to um, also get to another article that I wanted to talk about today, and that is oh, the other Supreme Court case. All right. So we just talked about the California Anonymous case, but the Supreme Court upheld Arizona's voting rules in heated voting rights decision. Decision, a boost for new red state voting laws. Okay, so what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about we're talking about ballot harvesting and we're talking about also if you vote in the wrong precinct, will that vote count? Well, I, I never knew that it did count. I always thought it didn't, but apparently it does. So can you imagine if you're a voter fraud expert like the Democrats are, then what would happen is you would vote in the wrong, you could just vote anywhere you want. I don't even know how you pull that off because I used to work the poll stations in Philadelphia. If you weren't in the book, you weren't in the book. You had to be in Ward 5 if you were going to our place to vote. And if you if you weren't in the book, then we look you up and get your address and point you to the right direction and say you're 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 in ward 6 or you're in ward 4 you're not in ward 5 you went to the wrong precinct you can't vote here so I, that's the way i've always known it but apparently in some states probably like california where ballot harvesting and anything goes you can vote anywhere you want i think that's a a recipe for disaster because you could vote in all kinds of different places. Multiple votes, multiple names. And that's the thing. You can vote. Like if you know the name, even in Philadelphia, if I knew the name of the person and then I know their address and I know that they're not voting, I'm, they might be traveling overseas, they might be incarcerated, whatever. They, they might just be one of those people that never votes. Those are the type of people that you could say, okay, I'm Joe Smith in one precinct. I'm Scott Adams in another precinct. I'm, you know, whatever. Yeah, I could say my name. They don't check the the ID. And so it is an ID state, but only when you register to vote. But now that there's a person registered, you don't have to show your ID. So if you don't have to show your ID, you could show up at six different precincts and vote six times on, on election day. 
That's not right. So, now this whole thing scares me. I'll tell you, you're going to not hear this anywhere but here. So, what we're relying on is we're relying on a Supreme Court that sees clearly and rationally about different decisions. And the three decisions that they came down with yesterday were actually good, sound decisions. And the sound decisions are that big donors ought to remain anonymous if they're going to get doxxed. So that was a good decision. And the other decision is ballot harvesting should be banned. Now, they took the case up in Arizona, but that's going to apply and impact what Stacey Abrams is able to do in Georgia. That's going to apply to Pennsylvania. That's going to apply to Michigan and and Wisconsin and Nevada. But guess what? It's going to apply to California as well. Incidentally, they have September 14th as the new date. The two questions that are going to be on the recall Gavin Newsom uh, for that election on September 14th is going to be, do you want to recall Gavin Newsom? And if if there's 50% of the vote, 51% of the vote, then it's who do you want? Who do you want to be the next governor of California? So that's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. I think that's going to go in a direction because they don't have a cheating mechanism for these recall votes. They don't have, they're not going to have enough time to cheat. So there's a lot of complaint that Gavin Newsom moved the election date up, but I have a feeling that maybe that might come back to bite them because they're not going to have the system in place to rig that recall. And once they get the recall, um, What's going to happen is, I have a feeling this this might be the first time a recall really worked. So we'll see what happens. But ballot harvesting, could you imagine, now that they've banned ballot harvesting, could you imagine if they banned ballot harvesting in California and say you can't, you have to vote in the correct district, not the wrong district? Your vote won't count otherwise? That could be a deal breaker for California because they relied heavily on ballot harvesting. They were the first to do it. And these other states, I think also ballot harvesting is going to be a big problem. You know, basically it's the situation where operatives show up and say, I'll pay you some money for your ballot. And they take the ballot and they vote it accordingly. So basically they get they confiscate all these ballots from people that never had an interest in voting in the first place. Or people that were registered and they didn't even know they registered. And a ballot was sent to them. I think in several states, and one of the other big arguments that's coming up, is whether or not you're going to be able to send out ballots unsolicited. So that would be another one. You would have to solicit a ballot. You would have to say, I need a ballot. Mail to me because I want to mail and vote. And that one would be the next big one. Because, see, they're registering, they're taking these heads, they're registering them to vote. Then they're converting that vote into a ballot. They're taking that ballot and mailing it to the person. They're then sending out a harvester to follow that ballot, take it from them, and vote it accordingly to a person that probably never even registered. 
never had an interest in voting, didn't vote, but ended up voting nonetheless because they were harvested. That's why you have these turnout rates. Instead of it being 60%, you have it being something like 90% voter turnout. It's insane. In these corrupt districts where they have a 95% turnout in voting, that's impossible. Nobody ever gets that. The fix is in. And in many cases, you have more voters, more votes than voters. That can't be. But here's where it scares me. Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin is the king of the, uh, he's putting that stop to the filibuster. That's the way you, because they want to pack the court now, right? So now that the court ruled the way they did and, Basically, they're saying it's suppression. Basically, they're saying that that uh, the voting integrity, the, the voting act, uh, is being dismantled. The Democrats are saying all this stuff because all of the rules that they've put into place have enabled them to steal elections. So, so long as they can continue to steal, they're happy. But as soon as you start to put in measures where they can't steal, like. People shouldn't be paid to go out and collect your ballot. There should be a chain of custody issue there. Signatures ought to be required. Voter ID ought to be required. And you should not be allowed to vote in the wrong precinct. All of those things make sense, right? Yes? Right? Okay. Good. Good enough. So that's that. But the issue is now that we've straightened that out with the Supreme Court, that Arizona decision is going to apply to every single state in the land. The states aren't going to be allowed to violate Supreme Court law. So what are they going to do? It gives the Republicans a big win there. It's huge. Just like when Manchin, Joe Manchin said, I'm not going to support the filibuster. Uh, um, it, you know, I'm not going to support ending the filibuster. And I said that was a big deal because what's the filibuster? The filibuster is a procedure that they put in place. It's sort of like a uh, roadblock to a piece of legislation that's going to be railroaded through, ramrodded through. So if you want to say you want to pack the court or you want to... uh, make D.C. a state or something like that, and you get all the liberals to vote in lockstep. They got 50-50. It's 50-50, and then Kamala Harris is the tiebreaker, so that means 51 to 50, right? The tiebreaker. So that means the, you know, the Democrats win. So if they did a simple majority in the Senate and they said, we want to pack the court, all they would need is... All 50 Democrats to vote Demo- to vote for it. All 50 Republicans would more than likely vote against it. And then Kamala Harris would be the tiebreaker. But so long as you have Joe Manchin saying, I will not end the filibuster, they can't get it done. So that's the barrier. But that's in on a simple. Uh, but but uh, once they apply the filibuster, you need 60 votes. So that's it. You just need 60. Now, they're not going to ever get 60 for that. So it's a moot point. 
It's a wor- worthless cause. They're not going to get 60 so long as you have the filibuster you, you require a 60 vote. And the Republicans are going to do a filibuster for everything. You know, we're going to apply a filibuster. That's where Harry Reid, remember when Harry Reid ended the filibuster, parliamentary procedure, railroaded a, 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 um, almost in the middle of the night procedure to, to get Obamacare, and then also to nominate Supreme Court justices. He put, put an end to that. So when Trump came around to getting three judges, he didn't have to deal with the filibuster because the Democrats already ruined that. Harry Reid, thanks to Harry Reid, he went nuclear and he abolished the filibuster for one specific purpose. That was the Supreme Court nominations and federal judges. And so that's why it was President Trump that got the most federal judges and Supreme Court nominations in history without a filibuster. 51 votes. That's all he needed. That's why it was so great for the Republicans on that particular point. And some of the Democrats realized Harry Reid made a big, huge, monumental mistake. And so their filibuster stays in place. The Republicans will use it, and they'll never be able to pack that court. So President Trump is still winning right now. He's winning with his justices. Justices that you and I may not even like. We don't like the way Gorsuch did some votes. We certainly don't like recent votes from Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett. But those three justices made a difference yesterday. And so we can applaud that. We can hold our hands up and applaud those votes because those are going to be the ones I think most significantly. And where are we? I mean, is this the benchmark that we're on? It used to be that ballot harvesting would have never even been considered. You know, it used to be that we wanted voter ID, same-day voting, and mail-in votes had to be absentee ballots for special requirements. You had to almost apply and get approved. We're a long way down the river on that one. We need to get back to that. Tighter, more restrictive um, voting. You know, I'm I'm a big supporter right now of uh, Election Day being a holiday. Because one of the, I heard, I I recently heard Stacey Abrams being interviewed, being questioned by uh, Senator Kennedy uh, Senator Kennedy from Louisiana. And what he said was, he asked her all these series of questions, and she said that, that basically, um, you know, she agreed with a, a lot of the different things that Kennedy agreed with, really. So the the idea is, is that if you could just get get a handle on many of these things and just come to a rational situation... You know, even Stacey Abrams would have to agree. You know, but we we can't have this month-long voting. It's got to be one day. And I think she would agree that, uh, you know, Election Day ought to be a vacation. And if it was, then all the things she was talking about, about the burden of getting out there on the same day to vote, goes out the window. 
Because, pe- you know, the whole excuse people have to work. Throw that out the window. You could take the, take off. And there's no, almost every place I ever know, no, ever known, is a situation where on election day, if you talk to your employer and you say, I need to go vote, no employer is going to say no to that. Now, if you're having a bad day and you can't, you have an emergency, you have your house is flooded or whatever, your ceiling collapsed in your house, or you, you have a car issue, whatever. Those are going to be with you whether you're on vacation or not. Those are problems that you, you're going to have to deal with anyway. Or if you're in a working situation where you work far away from your voting, you have to make special precautions for that. You have to get up super early or super get home super late or take that day off as a personal day. However you do it. But I'm all for support, and I support vacation days. I don't think that's going to make a hell of a lot of difference. But I will tell you this. If they do a vacation day and say, in exchange for the vacation day, we get one day voting. No, none of this mail-in stuff. You got to show up. You got to vote on that day, on that day. Like the Constitution says, it's one day. It's a, it's a day. Well, then that's it. And that should be this. That should be the way it is. You would see all kinds of seats flipping from Democrat to Republican at that point, because all this exploitation of all these loopholes and all these uh, election riggings would go that way. All right. So the two SCOTUS rulings were big. We're winning those Arizona audit. I'm sure we're going to get a lot of gains with regard to the election um, election machines. So if we could do away with the machines and, and expose them, even though we're maybe not going to be able to flip the states, as we've been talking about all week, if we find 300,000 votes but they're not attached to ballot signatures and, and, and ballot uh, envelopes that don't have signatures, we find those, but we can't track them to a vote and how they voted. I don't know if there's going to be enough to overturn certain elections, even though we know fraud existed. Because it's going to be litigated and drawn out that, oh, do we know that, that that imperfection was associated with that vote? So we don't know. Unless we find a lot of votes with double voting and over votes that were counted, well, we throw those out or what have you. Or, or votes that go to Biden that weren't folded, those get thrown out, right? Mail-in ballots that weren't folded, can't be. So... It very well could be we'll find some really great results. But still, I think that the takeaway, the thing that's most paramount and important is to get rid of the mail-in balloting and expose it for the fraud that it is and expose the machines for the fraud that it is. Because even the machine manufacturers are saying, so long as Cyber Ninjas touches those machines... Uh, we are not going to use those machines ever again. So they basically said there's not much to these machines. They can't be tampered with. And then all of a sudden they're saying if the Cyber Ninjas touches the machines, they've been tampered with. You can't have it both ways, folks. So they're basically admitting that they've been tampered with. And so long as that's the case, um, 
you could say, well, those machines might be null and void for the next big election. And let's hope that they are. And that would be a huge win right there. Everything we're talking about so far has to do with election integrity. Um, and we're going to go ahead and take uh, Julie real quick because I have an eight-minute clip I have to play. But Julie, welcome to the Yeah, Scott I'll Adam be real show. quick. Good morning. I'll be real quick. Uh, Mike Lindell, he uh, got those packet. Uh, I, I don't quite know the name, but the packets the, the, the that have all the security codes of all the people that hacked in during the election, during the election period. And he had all his his white hat cyber guys look at them and they went through every single line of of code and they had 400 hacks that took place that came from china uh and various other countries that stole the election now in his absolute nine video he only used 20 examples and of those 20 examples was more than enough votes to turn the election so what's the uh what's going to happen with that well we have to wait and see that that's coming up in the in the next month that's why he's having that symposium because they're the the media is refusing to pay attention to it so now he's putting it out on the table and say, here, this is the information. You've been invaded by China, and this is it. And if you don't pay attention to it, it's your problem, not mine. And that's that's how it came up. I won't take any more of your time. I just wanted to – the hackers made it impossible for people to access that Mike Lindell video. And and that's why it's been so, so slow to go out, and that's why he's having that symposium in August. All right, Julie. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, take care. Sorry. A, sorry. Yep. Bye-bye bye now. Bye. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see. That, there's a lot going on, folks. And, um, you know, I think that uh, when it's all said and done, you know, one of the things that you have to commend uh, Donald Trump and the Republicans, state, state and local officials, is a lot of the things that Trump ended up making, because Trump was so great, because Trump got 75 million votes, probably more. They threw out a lot of his votes, I think. Um, and that Biden was so weak and so retarded, so moronic, right? Basically, Biden, you look at him, you're like, you didn't get 81 million votes, dude. And you look at the likes, the trends, the people don't even tune into him. They don't listen to what he has to say because they know it's not coming from his heart. It's not coming from his brain. It's coming from his handlers. What did the handlers tell me to say today? And who am I going to pick as a reporter? I mean, nobody's ever been like that before. It's the least transparent guy in, in history. So, you know, it's all that and, and, and more. So no way did he get 81 million. Common sense tells you that. And, and so if, if he didn't, then where's the fraud? And we see fraud front, left, and center. So we're going to get to the bottom of it. But we got to get rid of these machines. We got to get rid of the excessive mail-in balloting. We got to get rid of ballot harvesting, and we got to get rid of. Uh, apparently, you know, um, people can vote in the wrong precinct. So the Supreme Court decisions yesterday were big. It's motivated the left to really make packing the Supreme Court a number one priority now, and you're seeing this trend all over. And the problem with that 
is that might threaten Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin, who was against the filibuster, I don't think Joe Manchin can win West Virginia without ballot harvesting and a lot of help from the Democratic machine. They know they can't get a liberal in West Virginia to win. So they got this moderate in Manchin who voted to impeach President Trump twice. No Republican should ever in West Virginia who voted for Trump should ever vote for that man. And I don't see how he wins without fraud. And that's my point. My point is Joe Manchin can't win West Virginia without the filibuster. So here he is saying he doesn't support the ending the filibuster. And he's been on record as saying that. But my concern is he now, given that Supreme Court justice, uh, Supreme Court decision, has every motivation to actually end the filibuster and pack the Supreme Court. Two things he promised not to do. But that would be the only way he could win re-election, in my opinion, in West Virginia, is to actually make it so the Democratic machine can help rig the election in West Virginia. Because Donald Trump won by over 40 points. He had a 40-point advantage over his competitor in West Virginia. How Joe Manchin even won that state is beyond me. It had to have been maybe election rigging. I don't know. But without the ballot harvesting and all these other gimmicks, I don't see how Joe Manchin wins. I just don't see it. So will Joe Manchin flip? And if he does flip on filibuster and pack in the court, guess what? If he flips on that, you know it's because there's going to be one heck of a rigging system going on in West Virginia to pay him back and reward him for that move. All right, we want to switch gears. We've been talking a lot today about the SCOTUS decision yesterday, and uh, that, that pretty much wraps up that component of the show. But I, I, there's a lot of other things I want to talk about, too. I want to talk about Julie Kelly uh, wrote this thing about defunding the FBI, and we talked about Donald Trump putting out the tea leaves, who shot Ashley Babbitt. Uh, we know that it's a Secret Service guy from uh, the Pence uh, administration, uh, Pence uh, vice presidentship, where he had his own Secret de- Service detail. And the guy was wearing a suit with cufflinks. He was a black guy. We know all that. So it narrows it down to a certain degree. They know who it is. But they're afraid that the guy's going to receive death threats. That's not the way our system works. He deserves a day in court. And believe you me, if Chauvin went to jail, this guy certainly will go to jail for the rest of his life for murder because he shot Ashley Babbitt point blank range when she was unarmed. So, yeah, that's that. So, Julie Kelly makes the argument Republicans need to abandon their longtime reflexive loyalty to the FBI. And I agree with that. I think that the Department of Homeland Security could be an umbrella over a lot of these other things. And we need a clean house in the FBI. It's not just the seventh floor top brass. It's beyond that. 
But I want to play, um, I want to get over to COVID. There's some new um, information about Fauci that I want to play. Absolutely important. And let's see if we can go ahead and play this clip. This is going to bring us near the end of our show, but this is this is going to be a really good clip here. Um, we're going to listen to this right here. And um, when we do get that up... Christian Anderson. Christian go. Anderson's a British... Friday, January 31st, 2020, at 10.32 p.m., Dr. Fauci gets an email from Christian Anderson. Christian Anderson's a British researcher who's received numerous grants from NIH. Two really important sentences are in that email. Two sentences that get Dr. Fauci's attention. The first is this. The unusual features of the virus make up a really small part of the genome. So one has to look really closely at all the sequences to see that some of the features look engineered. Again, this is January 31st, 2020. Second sentence, Eddie, Bob, Mike, and myself all find the genome inconsistent with expectations from evolutionary theory. Email arrives 1032 to Dr. Fauci on January 31st, 2020. Two hours later, two hours later at 1229 in the morning, Dr. Fauci sends an email to his top deputy, Mr. Hugh Oshenkloss. Guy has worked for Fauci for 15 years, part of his inner circle. Sends it, subject line says, important in all capital letters. He attaches a paper on gain-of-function research written by Dr. Barrick and Dr. Xi. Dr. Xi, of course, is the so-called bat lady, bat woman, the lady who does research in the Wuhan China lab. This email, Dr. Fauci says, again, to his top deputy, it is essential that we speak this a.m., Keep your cell phone on. Read this paper. You will have tasks to do today that must be done. Notice the intensity. Notice the focus. I mean, this is the house is on fire email here. Now, two hours after that, at 2.48 in the morning, Dr. Fauci's busy this morning, 12.29, that email he sent to Dr. Oshenkloss, his top deputy, two hours later at 2.48 in the morning, he sends another email, this one to Robert Cadlick. Assistant HHS Secretary, Trump appointee, not part of his inner circle, and he attaches a different article to this email, one that says the virus came from an animal that downplays any lab leak theory. Now, again, notice the tone of this one. Bob, this just came out today. Gives a balanced view. Best, Tony. I mean, totally different from the previous. This is one like, oh, if you get a chance, read this. Gives a balanced view. So the tone is different, but also that sentence, gives a balanced view. It's not true either. That's just not accurate. This article downplays, as I said, the lab leak theory emphasizes evolutionary cause to the virus. What happens next? What happens next? Later that same morning, later that same morning at 11.47 a.m., Dr. Fauci's deputy gets back to him. I just want to read you this whole email. The paper you sent me, the one he sent him on that was written by the virologist from Wuhan, China, and Dr. Barrick. The paper you sent me says the experiments were performed before the gain-of-function pause, but have since been reviewed and approved by NIH. Not sure what that means, since Emily, someone else who works for Dr. Fauci, is sure that no coronavirus work has gone through the P3 framework, which, of course, is the oversight body that's supposed to approve any grant dollars going for gain-of-function research. No coronavirus work has gone through the P3 framework, Final sentence, she will try to determine if we have any distant ties to this work abroad. She will try to determine if our fingerprints are on any of this. All these emails happen in 13 hours. 
So 13 hours after Dr. Fauci gets the initial email from Christian Anderson saying, looks like this virus is engineered, not consistent with evolutionary theory, Dr. Fauci knows some important facts. First, Dr. Fauci knows there's a lethal virus on the loose that started in Wuhan, China. Second, he knows the American taxpayers have funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan, China. Third, he knows that the research grant didn't go through the required oversight board. Fourth, he knows the virus, quote, looks engineered and, quote, not consistent with evolutionary theory. And finally, fifth, Dr. Fauci knows he may have ties to this work in China. His fingerprints, in fact, may be on this. So what does Dr. Fauci do next? After he says, oh, whatever, what does he do next? He organizes a conference call for later that same day. I mean, this is the busiest 24 hours I think I've ever seen. He organizes a conference call, 12 people on the call. Dr. Fauci and 11 virologists from around the world. Virologists who've gotten millions of American tax dollars over the past several years. Now look at this list. Here's the list of people. There's only two Americans on the list, Tony Fauci and one other. Most of them are from around the world, as I said. I think the first thing you notice is who's not on the call. Who's not on the list? Is Dr. Cadlick on the list? The guy he sent the email to at 3 in the morning? Is Dr. Redfield the head of CDC? Dr. Girard, who's with us today, Assistant Secretary at HHS at the time? Dr. Burks, the lady who's soon to be COVID response coordinator? In fact, there's no one from the government on the call except Tony Fauci. Tony Fauci and 11 other individuals who got a bunch of American tax dollars over the years. What happened on the conference call? The short answer is we don't know. We don't know what they talked about. I mean, I, got a, I think we got a good idea. We don't know for sure. But we do know what happened four days later. Four days later, February 4th, 2020, Christian Anderson, the guy who started it all, who said the virus looks engineered, Christian Anderson said this four days later. The crack, the quote, the crackpot theories going around at the moment relate to this virus being somehow engineered. That is demonstrably false. Close quote. What? In four days, this guy went from this looks engineered to now that's demonstrably false. Four days, he went from this isn't consistent with evolutionary theory. Now we know it's totally evolutionary. But it gets even better. It gets even better. Mr. Anderson and three of the other people on this call write an article a few weeks later that says COVID is not a laboratory construct. And while they're writing that article, there's an email from March 6th where Mr. Anderson offers to let Dr. Fauci edit the article before it's published. And here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. When the article is published, Dr. Fauci cites it at a White House press conference when he is asked by a reporter about the origin of the virus. Cites the very article he put in motion on the conference call and he was allowed to edit. At the White House, where he's supposed to be giving the American people the truth, he references an article that he manufactured. Now, maybe I'm wrong about all this. Maybe it didn't work out this way. I think I'm right. Maybe it didn't work out this way. But it would have been nice, Mr. Chairman, if Dr. Fauci would come today and answer our questions. He could have come here and defend himself, but he didn't have the courage to do it. And you know else who wouldn't come? Remember that email about the P3 framework? We invited Dr. Hassel to come too. He's the individual who chairs that oversight board. We invited him to come today too. And he wouldn't come. They, they, I, I'm convinced these guys knew right from the get-go what the truth was, and they misled the American people. Oh, here's the other thing. You know that conference call? That conference call? We got the emails regarding the conference call from February 2nd. 
All these guys, all these guys were emailing back and forth. They were on that conference call. Here's what we got on the FOIA request. Here's all their emails. Every single thing is redacted. Every single thing is redacted about what took place in that conference call because I'm convinced it was at that conference call where they said, we got to cover our tracks. And again, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But Dr. Fauci could have been sitting right there and answering our questions and he wouldn't come today. I yield back. So that was pretty good, right? Um, That tells you a lot about what was going on in the beginning. The guy that's actually heading up the directives for 15 days to slow the curve and wear a mask, uh, stay at home, crushing our economy, everything. Dr. Fauci, what an evil, evil doer. What an evil man that guy is. Unbelievable. They, they got pictures floating around Dr. Evil. Now, all of a sudden, this guy, Dr. Fauci, that was everywhere in your face all day long, is nowhere to be found, hiding under his desk. That guy that can't throw a baseball to save his life. What a terrible situation we found ourselves in. And um, it gets even worse. You know, Biden's White House uh, to deploy Delta variant response teams across U.S. to communities with low vaccinated rates. You know, the point is here, is they're trying to get that vaccinations up to 70% because they know that corporations will adopt vaccine passports if they can get the numbers up to 70%. And then basically they could bully the smaller group. It's all about bullying your adversaries and getting them and controlling them, controlling their whereabouts, tracking their lives as if they haven't tracked us enough already. And so we need to do better. With all of this, we need to find the truth. We need to find the truth and we need to um, correct these wrongs. And I think we're doing an excellent job. Uh, Jim Jordan, uh, the state and local government officials with election integrity, we're fighting back and we're getting the job done. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Be sure to check out magapac.org, buglecall.org. Uh, for our latest America First uh, agenda. And also check out scottadamsshow.com and the latest podcasts. And with that, my name is Scott Adams. We'll see you next time on the radio. We're a stand, the mound's getting steeper. They grab a shovel, dig the hole a little deeper. Just to bury my kids right up to there.